0: Hey everybody, I'm Adam Levenberg. Welcome to the official screenwriting podcast number 11. A couple quick announcements for you. First up, you can buy my book, The Starter Screenplay, at starterscreenplay.com, and I will personally autograph it for you and send it to you with free shipping. Also, a couple of fun things. I have two master classes coming up at the Director's Playhouse in West LA. Push those back a week, so those are now on March 2nd. Horror, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., and comedy from 2 pm to 5 pm and you can sign up for those at the directorsplayhouse.com and then on march 9th my screenwriting class starts it runs six weeks and it's every saturday morning from 10 a.m to 1 p.m and it's a really cool class so if you have any questions about it you can email me and that is also at the director's playhouse today i'm here with michael darrow the esteemed editor and Mike's been a longtime friend of mine, we had talked about doing an interview, and we actually just finished watching The Guru, and we'll get into that in a minute, why we picked The Guru to watch, but I, I don't know that we're going to get too much into that, only because it's a very complicated setup, and I'm not sure that there's as much to talk about as I'd like to, so maybe we should just jump into sort of the interview part of it. You're Michael Darrow, correct? Yes, I am Michael Darrow. Awesome. And uh, Mike and I go back a long ways, but you've now edited how many movies? Probably around like 10 or 9, somewhere around So that you age. don't keep track. That I find interesting, that there's no number, you know. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, I don't know. I just don't, once you cut something, you just kind of you leave a little part of it in there, and then that's it. You never go back to it. Wow.
0: Okay. So the most recent movie that you've edited is called uh, Some Girls. And what was the original title of the play? Some girls. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, and that was a Neil Labute play, or was it a script just a screenplay that he? Yeah, wrote? It was a Neil a,
1: a play written by Neil Labute, and it was on Broadway for a couple. Of, it was starring David Schwimmer on on Broadway, and then uh, yeah, and then we got the rights to the the script. The producer friends of mine, and then we put together the film. It stars Adam Brody, Kristen Bell, Emily Watson, Zoe
0: Kazan, and Jennifer Morrison. Very cool. Um, So this is a movie uh, directed by Daisy Mayer, who did one of my favorite movies, The Guru. If you haven't seen it, you can rent it through Netflix. I checked today if we're going to watch it. It is not available streaming on Netflix. It's not available. You can't even rent it through Amazon or through iTunes. But you can buy it through Amazon for like a penny plus shipping. So, you can get it for like four bucks. It's a really fun movie about um, a guy from India who dreams of being a movie star and then moves to the United States, where he's, of course, forced to wait tables and to uh, drive, or his friends all drive cabs. And he ends up falling into this posi- position as the guru of sex. Position's
1: a good word, I think. Yeah. yeah. A good word.
0: <laughs> and he starts taking lessons. He The way that he falls into it is that he becomes, a, or he answers an ad for a job as an actor not realizing that he's responding to a pornographic advertisement and he ends up going through this whole interview where he thinks that he's being auditioned but it turns out of course that this is for a porn film which he realizes once he gets the job and is on the set and he's unable to perform but his co-star in the scene uh, played by uh, Heather Graham ends up teaching uh, saying hey I'll teach you if you want about sex and about being a porn star and so forth. And he takes those lessons and then basically just spits them back out as this new character that he sort of falls into called the guru of sex. So in any case, so wait, let's go, let's go back to, to your, your editing. Um, I, I want to just talk, because you went to AFI, right? Yeah. So how long is that program?
1: Uh, for editors, it's like two and a half years. You come out with two thesis films, as opposed to uh, the one that most schools have. And those are short films, right? Those are short films, like t- well, short features, like twenty-five minutes. They cost both of my films cost upwards of seventy or eighty thousand dollars to make.
0: Do you think that they're ever going to switch into features? Because at this point, for seventy or eighty grand, you can make a full feature film. And do, I mean, what, how, how, do you think that they're going to move towards that? That it might make more sense to be doing that at this point? I don't think
1: so. I, I don't. I, I think that they're going to end up going with short subject for a long time because it's working. <laughs> it's where I mean, Jonathan Levine, about Batmanglij, who I've worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, these are Jonathan all,
0: Levine just did worn Bodies, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. You know, so these guys all came from AFI up through the system, and you know, making a feature is not easy. It takes a long time to even put together. So the short films is probably a little bit easier with all the classes you're taking and stuff like
0: that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting though that one of the things in my book I talk about at the end sort of things that you should look at doing for a short film because I know I had a roommate uh, who was an editor who was in the AFI program before you were and that was, I went to a lot of those short film screenings Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things, that's where, for those of you who've read the book, that's where I got a lot of these hints about what you should do with a short film. And basically, I don't—I forget if you've read my book or not, but in the end, I talk about of that. Course. And I talk about the 10 things uh, you should do. And it's usually about just sort of blowing it out. If it's comedy, make it really broad. If it's horror, do something. Do a musical. Do something that you know will sort of show your capacity as a feature film director as opposed to what i was seeing with a lot of these films which were very small character dramas that the point that i was making in the book was it's not that those can't be done well as short films the ones that i saw were incredible and it didn't really lead to as much out the door for these directors as opposed to some of those who do things that are far more genre oriented, because then a studio can look and say, "You did this competently. Now let's give you a feature film." So,
1: so instead of short films, you're really talking about commercials.
0: Well, no, not exactly. I, well, in some way, you are. I mean, you're, you're, you're making saying... a commercial for the director, isn't that what? I mean, the the short film is a commercial for the director to get more work.
1: It is true, but if a, a director is not a storyteller, then a director is just a guy who puts a camera there. There's a there's a separation. So, you know, commercials are definitely a viable way for directors to get – in fact, most do go through commercials first.
0: Oh, are you saying into – you, you're talking about actual, like, filming commercial commercials? Yeah, like shooting a spec commercial as opposed – because I guarantee a lot of your
1: listeners are thinking about either shooting a, a short film or mm-hmm. shooting a spec commercial. So if you have the five or six – and you only want have, like, a five or six-minute film, then a commercial might be more viable – Path. It is a pathway to get to a directing. Yeah, but my,
0: my point is though, if you're going to spend seventy thousand dollars or have seventy thousand yeah. dollars in goods and services, which you can only do if you're a film school student and mm-hmm. you are getting all this equipment for free, and the yeah. labor is I agree ridiculous, with you. less talky, don't have to pay for. Yeah, less so, the, well, again, mm-hmm. I'm not against talking. It's about though throwing down and sort of making it a spectacle. Uh, you know, making it your Moulin Rouge, your Train Spotting, your incredibly um sort of visually exciting approach whatever genre you're working in and small character dramas don't really allow that no matter how moving a character drama is at 20 minutes it's probably not going to make you cry it's not going to make you weep have you seen short films that made you cry not really short films are really i think you'd remember it if you did i've been around Mm -hmm. you know over 10 years now looking at short films and i've never seen one that made me cry and until you can do if you have a way to do that as a short filmmaker then by all means, go there. I'm just saying that it's so rarely done that the, the directors who I've seen move on to feature films tend to really sort of blow it out in a fun way and in a genre-oriented way. And again, that is broad comedy, that's horror, that's musical. Musical is not something that they even really make that many feature films of. But um, if you look at the filmmakers who are out there, a lot of them started... With musical short films, because that is something that makes sense for a short film. That might not make as much sense, say, if you were making a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar movie, you wouldn't say, "Hey, let's go do a musical." But it, that's one of those uh, genres that works best in short films. So, okay, so you went to AFI, you edited your two short films. How did? You, what was your first feature film that you got to edit?
1: Well, actually, I cut a feature in between my first and second year because I needed to cut a feature. I needed, if I wanted to cut motion pictures, I'd have to start. So. My first film was called Gag, which is a little... Oh, lot
0: yeah, I remember. I remember the first eight <laughs> minutes of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> dude. It didn't change after that. But the movie got released. It got picked up by Think Film and was put out. So that was actually my first release
0: ever. And then the next three or four movies didn't get released, actually. But... Can I speak, speak about from... that real quickly? And yeah. I don't mean to... I, I've only seen the first eight minutes of Gag. But my big issue with the film is that that came at a time... <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying... Uh, that came at a time where Blockbuster started putting anything on their shelves, as long as yeah. you had a good b- box art. Yeah. Uh, for those of you youngins, box art was what they would put around videos and DVDs. Um, and you know, for a while, there was a great market for horror films that were made for the, between the $750,000 range and the $3 million range that would go direct to Blockbuster. And what ended up, or, you know, that was, they even had independent video stores at that time, and that was a a market that, you know, like um, my friend and teacher, Stuart Gordon, made many of those films. Uh, But what ended up happening was that, Blockbuster started putting films on the shelf that were made for 10 grand and 15,000 and $20,000 often without any sort of competency. And the result of it, if they had the box art, and the result of it was a collapse of the higher low budget horror market. And you're a horror guy, so am yeah. I correct in that analysis? No, you're absolutely right, absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's a just, shame though because you you then have, and it's interesting. Like Stewart did a lot of those genre pieces, and now he does sort of more interesting independent film type of things like Stuck and like Edmund. But for a while, uh, there were sort of great lower budget of horror films that didn't need to get a theatrical release in the United States that were still done in a really professional way. Well, it also happens
1: that the accessibility of cameras and computers and editing machines, and, I mean, for a horror movie, you really don't need much.
0: And you'll watch anything. <laughs> you'll watch anything, because Mike and I were roommates for a while, and I can vouch <laughs> for the fact that there is no level of horror film that's too shitty for him to sort of uh, check out. Well,
1: is the best, because genre is great, because you... You can lose yourself in it without having to pay attention completely. Mm-hmm. And there's always drugs, and there's always violence, and there's always nudity. So those three things all together, I mean, that checks off a lot. I'm already going to give you three stars if there's nudity in the thing. No problem. Boom. Good horror film. You're doing your research. <laughs> but for the most
0: part, I mean,
1: yeah, horror is great because you don't have to pay attention to it. It's easy. It's easy.
0: And by, and by not pay attention, do you mean that you can like put it on in the background while you're cooking dinner and you can kind of come and go? and Sure, sure. Or you can just drink a couple beers and relax
1: and just not think about your job. Because you know, you spend all day making other films that are of high importance and dramatic and stuff. And then you, you don't really want to watch all that crap when you get home. You just kind of want to not think at all. And that's what horror is. It's perfect.
0: And, and it is the only genre that sells itself. When no, I mean, sure. you have a horror film, you are not selling it based on the stars almost all of the time. I mean, recently we had Mama with Jessica Chastain, which just happened. I don't know how long that was on the shelf. Mm-hmm. I think it had been done for a while. I'm not sure about that. Um, but, you know, you have a film that just happened to coincide with this star who just happened to have this other huge movie yeah. coming out. And the studio really timed it brilliantly.
1: Absolutely. Where she was already
0: going out there on all the talk shows and everything. Yeah, like Jennifer so. Lawrence,
1: too. Jennifer Lawrence just did a, a film right before Silver Lighting.
0: A horror film well you know i think that might have even been shot before hunger games i think you're it's called uh was it ha- last house on the yeah last house on the left La- no, no, no. well it wasn't last house on the left though right no no, the... no 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 <laughs> last <laughs> house on the street yeah. or yeah. house on the street house or the street. whatever that jennifer lawrence movie <laughs> i'm almost certain that that was shot before hunger games and released afterwards in order to capitalize on her which new is smart story. it's smart yeah that's how you do it um so, okay, so you've done this movie called Gag. Then I was roommates with you while you were working on a movie called Beauty Sleep Symphony. Uh, and oh, boy. Yeah, and, and then you also were editing a movie or trying to f- sort of fix a movie called Two Dudes in a Dream, which was another sort of low-budget comedy. Yep. And I remember that process because what happened to the director? Because I remember the producer being there and the star being there, but I don't remember a director being part <laughs> of that process. And was the director, like, just gone at that point? Yeah, or,
1: the director, I never met the director, it was so weird. I'm so getting, you edited
0: a movie, you never got to meet the director.
1: I guess the director got fired in a way, and then I got hired on to be the slash director, but without credit, because I don't want credit. Mm-hmm.
0: But but you basically had to sort of reorchestrate a movie, you had to find the pieces in yes. order to sort of create something, and what was the final length of that film, like 80 minutes, or did it... 83 with credits. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, which, by the way, not all bad movies. I mean, if you watch a movie like Black Dynamite, which is fucking awesome. If you haven't seen Black Dynamite, Netflix it immediately. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Um, you know, even that movie is like 75 minutes with like a six-minute animated credit uh-huh. sequence at the end. Um, so that doesn't automatically mean it's bad. Do you know, Do they still have those limits? Because for a while uh blockbuster sort of had a rule that it had to be 85 minutes long right
1: well i think i think for the academy and i think for
0: yeah but there are two years of dream where you weren't worried about the academy you're worried about like getting it in distributors
1: follow the academy rules oh okay to get
0: distribution you really got to be up around those 80 minutes
1: you can't be at 70 some films are that long well,
0: I mean, a studio could get away with that, but does... The independent guy cannot get away. You okay, get so out. if you're making an independent film, you still... D- does that still apply, though? That's my question, because I knew yeah, it absolutely. applied like eight years ago or six
1: years well, ago. Well, it's either it's either you're making a 75-minute movie or you're making a TV show. That's a, an hour-long hour drama. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, I mean, that's that's the decision you have to make in the size of your screenplay. It's what am I making. If you go anywhere near 70, then it's really it's really
0: hard to pull off your second act. It'll fall apart. Or it means you don't have a first act. I would suggest that 70 minutes, you don't have much of a movie. And that's one of the exactly. things that I book... Well, in my book, I talk about the fact, and I don't know whether you'll agree with this or not, but I talk about the fact that even 90-page screenplays from new writers do not work. They are not something... Any any writer who's turning in a 90-page screenplay to me at least, I've never seen one that works. And the reason for it is because that new writers write fluffy. They write scenes that they don't need sometimes. They write dialogue they don't need sometimes. Absolutely. And you can always, you know, with new writers, I can always, no matter how good of the writer is, yeah. I can always look at it and cut down some scenes. Or, it, yeah. or Yeah. I mean, and they don't write with the density that, say, a more professional screenwriter who's really knows how to pack it in and make every moment count. They don't have that yet. That's okay. Those scripts can still be okay. But if you're not talking about a contained thread, Thriller or maybe a horror movie, then 90-page screenplays don't work, and that's something for some reason that like other people don't say. So I challenge you to find examples. And by the way, that does not necessarily correspond to the movies that you see, because often those 90-minute movies are chopped down, oh, yeah. uh, and often they're they've been sort of hacked apart by the studio in order to run 90 minutes that so they can show six times opening weekend because they know that there's not going to be a second weekend. Um, all right, so you've done it now. Okay, so we've talked about Beauty Sleep Symphony, and you did this Two Dudes in a Dream movie, where you came in and literally had to reconstruct or work with all of the pieces to put together yeah. this film. And I've seen the whole thing; it works as a as a, as a movie. It's uh, you yeah. know, yeah. And then you did this movie, and I've I asked your permission in advance to talk about this, uh-huh. and you've you've given me permission. Um, you edited this movie called A Heaven's Rain, which is a true story. And this is, to me, it's one of the greatest examples of how horribly awry the independent film and independent film financing process can go. And uh, by the way, my whole thing is I don't like to shit on movies. I don't like to sort of negative, I wrote about one movie on my website. I put up a negative analysis of a film, of a horror film that I felt had really easy things. And just by doing that, um, I, I forget if I told you about this but I put like two or three sentences up on Twitter about this movie and I said the film looked great but it had an incompetent screenplay and of course the writer, director of it like tweeted me and said wow thanks a lot Like, and <laughs> it was horrible and, and by the way the reason that I wrote this really lengthy analysis was wrote, because Did you respond to him? I, I did and I said I will send you my book for free and uh, he didn't respond to that because uh, he said I think I'll, maybe I'll check out your book and I, I wrote him back and said i will uh he didn't get back to me and that's totally cool i don't blame him <laughs> uh you know he spent a year of his life Yeah, he shouldn't shit should talk people's movies is because it does have, not in public areas well we were about to do that with heaven's rain but <laughs> the, the, <laughs> I was, I was going to sort of preface, but the, the fun part was that I actually wrote this analysis of this guy's film because I said, okay, if I'm just going to say that a screenplay is incompetent on Twitter, you know, I, I had a friend in film school who say, like, you got to back that up. you got to be able – so I wrote a really lengthy analysis comparing that specific film uh, called Excision. Have you seen that? It's a horror no, uh, film. Seen. It's with Tracy Lords She's wonderful in it, and Annalyn McCord. Um, and the the performances are really good and the the cinematography she's wonderful she plays the mother I know I know she's a great actress Um, she's (laughs) great in this film and that's really what upset me about it was that the screenplay didn't work and every other piece of the film was kind of firing on all cylinders, including the the most some of the most disgusting, repulsive stuff you'll ever see. Which to me is sort of represents what I call the ideas of value. You had a director who had some really gross ideas with what to do with his horror film, and yet it just didn't sort of hang or, or work structurally. Yeah. So I compared it to Carrie and talked about why Carrie worked and this film Excision didn't. But now we're going to jump into Heaven's Rain, which you know I keep talking, I'm, I keep saying I'm never going to shit on a movie, and then. Uh, I go there, Perfect um, but I had a horrible time because I got to go to the premiere of this film because I, you invited me and I went and it was one of those times where, okay, let's, let's just say the film was about a, a guy who um, his, I believe was it, his family was attacked by a group of home invaders and his, was both of his parents murdered? It basically, it's a, it's a tr- based on a true story. It's called Heaven's Rain. It's about this one
1: individual's life. It's really uh, a really spiritual type of film. But basically, when he was younger, there was a knock at a door, and these two people came in and killed his entire family, raped his younger eleven-year-old sister, and shot them and left them for dead. But they survived. Did yeah. everybody survive, or the, uh, the parents the, died? Parents died. Okay. So and then, just the uh, you know the children survived. So.
0: So, so here we are at the premiere of this movie, and uh, it's, it's about this family that the parents did not survive this home invasion, the daughter was raped, and this guy ended up um, making a film about it, but he didn't just make a film about it. He stars in the film as his own father, and he, did he write the film?
1: Or yeah, he co-wrote he, he the co-wrote film with the, with film. the
0: director. And I remember in the introduction of it, the apparently like the, the director had, t- had given a class at this college, and this guy who was a state senator, I think, mm-hmm. um, was in this screenwriting class, and after they hung out, and he told the director his story, and the director said, my God, that's like the greatest story I've ever heard. It's like a movie. And having seen the movie, I can assure you, it's not. Like, this should not have been turned into a movie. It's really harrowing. And the only thing that I can assume that... You know, the thing that this film definitely did probably for the actor and writer and producer and f- financier, I guess, um, was some sort of therapy. I mean, it's got to... But imagine watching or, or be Because I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that I'm watching this guy who I'm in the theater with. And maybe that was part of it. Maybe that was part of my visceral dislike and re- reaction to this film. But you're watching a guy who who lived through watching his sister get raped, his parents be murdered in front of him brutally. And he's now up on screen playing his own father and reenacting this scene. And I just... I, I, was, I was horrified, and I wanted to leave, but I couldn't... You weren't sitting close enough to me that I could explain, or... So I, I just sort of sat through it and tried to... But to this day, it is easily sort of the ugliest experience I feel like I've ever had in a movie theater. And by <laughs> the way... And, um, but by the way, let me say, this is my feelings about the film. This is not Mike's feelings about the film. He just sort of gave me permission to talk about that experience being in the theater for me. I just... You know, I know how important it must have been for the guy who, whose life it was about, and I'm sure he's very proud of the film, and that's great. I'm glad that he likes the film that was made. Yep. But, you know, for me, I could barely tolerate seeing this exercise in uh, sort of uh, therapy, um, especially think- the, the brutality of the,
1: the violence that we see. I spent nine months of my life on that movie. Really? Yeah, we shot it in Oklahoma, and that took three months. And then Were you there for post. the filming? Yeah, I was there... They shot in all real locations. We went back to the house where it happened. Oh, well, oh, you got
0: to be... wait. No, no, no. So they sh- they filmed this thing in the house. Oh, yeah, in the actual. Were you there for the filming truck. of that? Can we just talk about that for a second? Yeah, I was on set the entire time because. Okay, I- what was that like wh- to be? On the set with the guy whose family was murdered and him reenacting it. Was he like, oh, no, 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 it didn't happen like that. And was he directing at that point? Or was the director directing? I mean, it had to have been a traumatizing. Yeah, he was pretty, he got sick
1: a lot. He Physically? I mean, Yeah, physically sick. Wow. It was excruciatingly stressful for the guy. And we didn't get a lot of footage that day either because he came in and instead told the story to all the actors for like four hours. So I only got one day's footage worth of that. So it actually worked out because the, the scene is so harsh and and brutal, at least the way my cut was. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 not easy. It wasn't easy. But he always had like a smile. He's a really nice guy. It's just very you can see it. He's got the he's got the
0: darkness. Well, yeah, I mean lo- look at what he lived through, yeah. but it- unbelievable. All right, so moving on to happier projects. Um, so after let, let's see what you got here. I'm I'm toggling to IMDb. As we speak, uh, and it's funny. Uh, Heaven's Rain, Grover Complex, Breaking the Girls. What was Breaking the Girls? I haven't. Breaking the Girls is a uh, a, a drama, mm-hmm. I guess, like a, a thriller, actually, in a way. Okay. It's written by the the writer of American Psycho, Freddie Canelis, or the or uh, Gwyneth Turner. Gwyneth Turner. Yeah, she's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's written by Gwyneth Turner, directed by Jamie Babbitt, who did Bottom a Cheerleader. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. The Hours, a couple other films, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great one to work on. It has Malin Malin in it. She's awesome from uh, you know, California
0: Yeah, my cousin like discovered her, represented her when she was on the nanny, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, she's super sweet. She's nice. So, so you did this uh, this film with Jamie Babbitt and have you it's done, I presume? Yeah, it got picked up by
1: IFC. It'll be released by IFC uh, in the next couple of months. Very cool. Yeah, she uh it's interesting how I met Jamie was through another friend of mine named Batman Leach who just did The East and who just did, uh, you know, Sound of My Voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I had worked on hit with him at AFI on his short films. Unfortunately, Heaven's Rain, mm-hmm. co- he asked me to cut Sound of My Voice, but Heaven's Rain, I was cutting that. So, you know, it's just a scheduling thing. But he led me to Jamie, and that's how I get Breaking the Girl.
0: Wait, so Sound of My Voice was done that long ago that... Oh, so it sat on the shelf for a while. No, it didn't sit on the shelf.
1: It just... He made it, and then it got into Sundance, and then it takes right. a while to get released.
0: Oh, okay. Even
1: when they get distribution, they, take, they time it. Because I have a friend who was the, responsible for the pre-sales on that movie, but I didn't yeah. realize that it was yeah, yeah. Uh, 20th oh. Century Fox, then it then they tried to time it with uh, Another Earth. Yeah. So Another Earth would come out first, mm-hmm. then Sound of My Voice to spotlight Britt Marley. Britt Marley, yes. That's the, the star of the film. Okay. He was a really um, nice person
0: for the, the record. So, I haven't I haven't seen I, I've seen Another uh, Sound of My Voice. I hear is amazing. I really should check it out. Um, yeah, no, it's great. It's amazing. Uh, so really. you you ended up on so, Breaking the Girls, and now um, what, what is it? Action News Five? we talked about that? <laughs> oh, boy. It, okay, uh, we, we don't have to talk about. No, it. no, we can um, talk about Action
1: News Five. I mean, here's the thing: when you go out and you make movies, there's going to be some movies that don't see the light of day. Mm-hmm. You know, they try really hard. They throw tons of money into it. It has actors, has everything, but it all starts from a place of, you know, a bad screenplay. So, and, that's
0: and by the way, and you're the, the guy screenplay. who's hired. Like, you know, yeah. you're, and often you're not there. It's interesting that you were there on Heaven's Rain, and I remember talking to you, and you're like, yeah, I'm in Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Oklahoma shooting, and I was like, wow, like, you're on set and everything. Um, but really, that is the thing that, um, that that needs to be taken into account and i want to ask you about that because now you've worked on some girls which is a uh screenplay by neil labute like neil labute is the master neil labute is one of the greatest filmmakers of the past you know 25 years especially for writers yeah yeah and by the way i i can share the fact that lakeview terrace was a project that i was horrified by as an executive i remember it it coming in um it's something to look at just as a movie that was moving forward. And I was so offended by it about like this interracial couple moves in and the, the black cop next door is the villain. And it was just so upside down that I... I don't think I appreciated. it. I thought, like, wow, this is really just nasty and ugly, and it's a step back in terms of race relations and all that stuff. And then, of course, Neil Labute comes onto it, and that's, like, his bread and butter. Yeah, like, he's totally going cool. to do the things that make you <laughs> uncomfortable and going to present them in a way that I guarantee you, like, he definitely did a lot of work on that that project. Whether or not he wrote the words himself or sort of helped evolve the screenplay with the writer, um, it's it's a film that I really appreciate, and I've seen it twice now. Yeah. but it's a film that I a script that I had to put down uh, just because I, I sort of objected to it on grounds that only Anil Le Butte could have done something with it yeah. that, to turn it into something that means that it's a like. good script <laughs> well,
1: it's, it, but if you're just offended and it's not because it's a shitty script you're you that means it
0: invokes something in you which is mm-hmm. exactly what he does well it's the interesting like hard candy was another script that I remember reading yeah. as a writing is that
1: Hanukkah? is that a Hanukkah?
0: no 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 uh, hard candy is a film oh, uh, oh yeah it really was Oh my God, the guy who wrote Devil yeah. and uh, the director of 30 Days of Night. And I'm, how am I blanking on their names? It's horrible. Do you know last week during the show, I blanked on the title K-Pax? Could not remember <laughs> what I'm talking. I'm like, Jeff uh, Ke- uh, <laughs> Bridges and Kevin Spacey and Ian Softly, And I can remember like all this stuff. I could you blank on K-Pax? Well, I've never seen the film. I've never seen the <laughs> film because I remember saying to a friend. You've never seen it? No, because I remember saying to a friend when I saw the trailer, when the, when the film was out. No, and it, was, right. it was a medium hit and I have heard it was good, but I said, look. If Kevin Spacey leaves at the end of this film, and we don't know whether or not he was really an alien, but it's not important because Jeff Bridges learned a very important lesson. I yep. said, in that case, I don't want to see it. If, it's, that's, if that's where it's going, I don't want to see it. That's and pretty much it. Well, that's, that's why I didn't see the film. So, I want to talk a little bit about how you ended up on... Uh, On this film because you know this is Daisy Mayer who's directed some studio films and she directed one of my favorite movies The Guru I saw The Guru twice in theaters and that's not something that I do all that often outside of being a teenager because when I was a teenager I would have to often go see movies twice or certainly when I was a kid like between 10 and 14 because there weren't enough movies out that weren't rated R so I'd have to go like two three times to see Batman and (laughs) stuff like that um but, you know, now it's really a choice. And, you know, some films I've seen twice or three times in theaters, I saw Very Bad Things a couple times in theaters. I saw Ravenous a few times in theaters. Um, I don't even remember the last time, over the last couple of years, I don't think I did it. Uh, Harold and Kumar might have been the last movie that I went to see twice in theaters. But um, The Guru I did see twice, because it's this really interesting sort of blend of American broad comedy with Bollywood musical. Mm -hmm. and it was a film that got, you know, I think universally great reviews, but you have a lot of directors now who are working in this lower-budget space, and we don't need to get into, I guess, the the dollar figures, but, you know, this is a film that was done for lesser amounts of money, and I'm correct, you don't have, like, an agent, correct? No. You sort of work on your own, so how does this project come to you? you? How are you aware of it in the beginning, and then how, what's that process like?
1: Well, basically... Afi, okay. All right, so you know, the American Film Institute was a great place to attend, but it didn't start paying off for like six to seven years after I graduated. Mm -hmm. So one of the connections I made was Patty West, who was the producer on the film, and it actually happened that there used to be another director on the piece named Jennifer Getzinger, and you know she had to leave the project for for a reason, and Daisy got hired literally the day of shooting. and
0: so it was basically a movie that was all together that was financed, that was, and then suddenly it was. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that story, but that's a really interesting.
1: Yeah, well, she had an editor attached to it who's also a friend of mine, and he, he had to go. He went with her. So I, I sent them an email just saying, Hey, I'm very interested. Not sure if you've hired an editor, not knowing that all this stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. And they said, Unfortunately, we do have an editor. The director's married to him, not married. But you know, really likes them.
0: The last director, yeah, the last director. So okay. then,
1: whatever happened happened, and then all of a sudden, they
0: open call me, open yeah. assignment again. Yeah,
1: and they said, and they sent me a message. That says, so hey, is the film
0: shooting at that point yes. that you're brought in? Yeah. So it's not done yet. You're, nope. It's okay. So are you? So you're now interviewing? Who do you interview with the director?
1: Yeah, I sat down with the director and three producers.
0: Cool. And what do you talk about? What is it?
1: I talked mostly about like progression, pace. um how much stuff I'm afraid we're gonna end up losing, comedy timing, uh, the approach, of the, how she's gonna approach the actors. You know. So are
0: you then asking questions?
1: Yeah, always, all my interviews, I always ask questions about the script.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, if, if I just sit there and get questions asked, that means I'm boring, but if I have questions, and I, I assume that they're intelligent, mm-hmm. people across the room, which they normally are at this level, then you get answers and then all of a sudden you're communicating. And that's what an editor does: communicates someone else's ideas through the media.
0: Very cool. Yeah. So, so you do you know how many people they met with? I think like two or three, two or three.
1: Yeah. After they gave me the interview, I was like, "Why didn't they just give me the job?" But of course not. <laughs> they got to interview some well, other people. You did get the job. I did get the job anyway, and I, I knocked it out of the park. You know. So how long did you spend editing that? Oh, uh, three months. Wow. Yeah. And that, how many how many end. hours of footage was there? That's a low end. We should have been cutting it for more. Oh, we had I think that one only had like twenty four hours, mm-hmm. twenty three hours maybe something like that. We shot on red, you know, so I had like a lot of footage, but not not too bad. Heaven's Rain had over a hundred or seventy hours of footage. Seventy <laughs> hours of thirty five millimeter film.
0: And a, they they definitely spent some money on that film. Um, my first cut was four hours on Heaven's Rain. <laughs> I remember that. I remember, oh. and you were just—you were um, dealing with that. You were dealing with the fact that there was just so much footage. Oh
1: my god! And
0: you were responsible for, you know, cutting it together. What was the final? It was two hours and ten minutes. They try, yeah.
1: Now it's down to ninety minutes, but cut by a studio who bought it.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. Not so nice. it's
0: it's out there, and um, yeah, yeah. So you know that's it's interesting. Let me ask you real quickly. Um, the ways that somebody can work with you as an editor, um, if you're say Mister Independent Film in Nebraska, Texas, you know West Virginia, wherever you are, can those people take advantage of editors in LA such as yourself? Like, could they like email you and say, "Hey, I have this film. Can you can, can you like look at footage over the internet
1: of and?
0: Course. You know, because we have, or I have this project that's going to be shooting in Italy. So, like, let me ask about that. Like, is that feasible for the director to be in Italy and for you to be here and for the director to watch what you're doing? Are we at that point where you can communicate that much, or is it still... It
1: gets a little It gets a little wishy-washy. There are things in Final Cut Pro called, like, media sharing. You share it through iChat. Mm-hmm. I just did this, like, with Universal... Uh, couple days ago and it works it works pretty well it actually works really well whatever is in your viewer in your editing bar that shows up on their screen and they can just watch it which is great but sometimes it doesn't
0: really work and you know why doesn't it, you mean like like just like skype doesn't yeah, always just, work? exactly exactly not, not to bugging. mention
1: sitting in front of a computer screen and taking notes from someone isn't like working with them because you have a
0: setup in your apartment. You have this huge apartment, yeah. and you have a room to itself where you have mm-hmm. your tarantula. And <laughs> I, I don't want to scare off prospective uh, filmmakers, but there is a tarantula in there. i the got room. a Michael
1: Haneke poster in there, too. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> to let them know just how much pain they're in for in the <laughs> yeah, work exactly. process. And you, and you have your uh, setup. Which used to be in your living room. So you're like moving up in the world that you have this... A lot uh, of things
1: were in my living room at one time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and you have this like set up there and pe- does the director come and sit with you like yeah. for for uh, some girls? Like was that, she would come here and...
1: Daisy and I Daisy and I put uh, six days a
0: week, ten hours a day, every single day. And she committed to that and was here. Like you weren't off on your own... Every single day. Like there's... Wow. That's a director who's like in touch with the film. I, I like to hear that. That's the way
1: it's supposed to be. That's the way the best the best film comes out when I sit next to the director, mm-hmm. because I can notes. Notes are so vague. I get these notes from people, and I'm just like, I don't. What do you mean? Change the point of view? Do you you know? Unless you're, unless your notes are extremely specific, such as cut this frame here, cut this line here, it's impossible for me to understand what you're trying to say without showing you over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So my preference is to sit with the director. So we can both merge our minds together and what we have. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So filmmakers across the country are able to hire you. Because I think that's like the most yes, interesting absolutely. thing. absolutely.
1: Please hire me. You need a job.
0: <laughs> you know, I think it's so interesting that like you have uh, people who are professionals who you can reach out to when you have a movie. Yeah. And like one of the things I've sort of pitched myself for, and it's yet to happen where somebody has a low budget film going into production and they hire me. Nobody has ever done that. I've worked with films that have gone into production later, but you know, to me, it's like really the part in the process, if you're making the movie anyway, for a couple of hundred bucks, you hire me. And if I can help you cut one scene or show you a way to blend two scenes together, my God, the amount of money you'd save in terms, or or a scene that you need that you would need to go back and reshoot. Yes. If you, I mean, the cost of that is enormous, and the the logistics of that become pretty problematic because the reality is that if you're making a low budget film, most of the time you just don't get to go back, and you're stuck with what you've shot. Yes. So you know, it's always amazing to me that more people don't take advantage of that, especially it, in that lower in the uh, lower t- space. yeah,
1: especially in the lower tier space. Bringing me onto a project earlier is. Way, way better. I can read through your script and literally tell you what has to go, and or if you're even mo- just like what you do, it's the same thing. Like hiring someone who knows even the basics of script structure mm-hmm. is imperative. And it will save you so much time because if not, I'm gonna have to do it anyway. I'm gonna have to move those points. If if you have your first plot point happening 40 minutes into the movie, such as the case of every film I've cut except for recently, mm-hmm. uh, then I gotta move that thing. And the way I'm gonna move it is by hacking stuff out. So if I could get you to understand that that needs to happen earlier, then there it is. How much time and money did
0: you save and how much better will the project be? Do you know what the interesting thing that I'm beginning to see now? Because we now have sort of a a generation of filmmakers who were raised on Save the Cat. um, Mm -hmm. Meaning that that's sort of a part of their formative understanding of how screenplays work. But even in that case, a lot of times people get really fucked up in terms of them sort of misreading it or misapplying what Save the Cat has to teach him about their own work and about how they've used it, mm-hmm. where they, they really get things confused. And it doesn't mean the script doesn't totally work, but if you don't get that stuff fixed and have somebody who can point that out to you before you go and start filming. It, because the funny thing is, I have, to a couple of people, and this has happened more than once, which is why I relay this, um, I've, I've had a couple of experiences where I'll walk through Save the Cat with somebody who hasn't heard of it, And they'll look at, I remember this one filmmaker looked right into my eyes and he's like, man, I hadn't read that book, but I have hit every one of those points. And I didn't want to disagree with him because I wasn't officially working with him yet. (laughs) Yes, you did. But I had already read the script. (laughs) I had already read (laughs) the script and he didn't have any clue. Like there was no semblance of any of this shit, which is why I was wasting my breath sort of sharing this way of doing things.
1: Yeah, Save the Cat Cat is, all these books, they're all great,
0: okay, because they give you a backbone. Well I don't think they're all great because I think some of them have a lot of information that's useless, and I think there's only so much information that somebody's going to absorb from anything they read. Well, some is so the, some is the wishy-washy information, which is like the vague character
1: understandings. Which don't really apply to structure, and then yeah. you have the structure-based stuff, which is you know you you say the cats. And, and then there's some people who say the
0: character is structure, but you know in See, I, I don't know I, I might just no no, no it's fine. <laughs> um, but I think that you know the, ultimately my feeling about most books, and this is why I sort of recommend clearing off the bookshelf. If you have 20 screenwriting books, you have to, and you haven't sold a script, you have too many screenwriting books. That is true. Get rid of them. Yes. Save save the cat. Save the John Truby. Maybe save mine as a resource to check in with once in a while, but my book is that. It's a resource. It's something used in addition to sort of the more structural screenwriting books. Um, And, you know, get rid of... Because there's so much junk out there. and It makes it too hard to to
1: write if you have all these things. If you're juggling too much. Yeah, it's too too difficult. Same thing with editing. Editing is like you just dropped all this footage into your lap and you have to kind of construct it together. And if you just sit there and, and think more about... Oh, how does this make me look good? Is it cut fast enough? Is it this? Then you're missing the point entirely. And that's what tends to happen with screenwri- screenplays.
0: Is You get them and they're so full of stuff that they just have not ironed it down. You know? Mm-hmm. Now can I ask real quickly and we'll sort of wrap on this. What are your feelings about those filmmakers who think that they can edit it themselves? Because there are people like Louis C.K. edits his own stuff. Uh, Jay Chandrasekhar of uh, Broken shows. Lizard edits his own stuff. Yeah. Uh, Steven Soderbergh edits his own stuff, pretty much. No, no, he hires Ant Coates. Ant Coates is dead, I thought. Huh? Uh, she might be dead. I, I could have sworn <laughs> to Coates. She cut his most successful film. Are you talking about Out of Sight? Yeah, Out of Sight. She did, although I have it on authority from a very big person that, you know, because I remember asking about that, and I remember specifically saying to one of the stars of the film, uh, wow, and Coates. She did *Lawrence of Arabia*, and he his response was um, that he was under the impression that it was very much Steven Soderbergh editing, like that. Steven Soderbergh does his own cinematography. He is a yes, complete master. Robert Rodriguez
1: is another example.
0: But you know, I, let's let's get into that for a second. Let's unpack that because the idea, though, is that yeah, he's still Steven Soderbergh, and he still loves to do it all himself but he still has legendary editor Ann Coates sitting next to him, that there is that benefit to having the expert in that field, even if you're going to do 80% of it yourself, right?
1: No, of course, of course. I mean,
0: uh, for a guy who's looking
1: to direct his own stuff as well, I'm going to hire an editor. Wait, hold on. So you would, even though this is your specialty, you'd hire your own... Yeah, I, I absolutely. I need another voice, because if not, I get you'll get too wrapped up in your head. Like, the collaboration is the most important part of filmmaking. If you're not collaborating, then you're just there yourself. So it's just you. Which, if you are brilliant, like Steven Soder- Soderbergh, and have tons of experience and been doing it for 40 years, well, then yeah, you could probably cut your own stuff. But if you're just a guy who's in Nebraska trying to make a low budget horror film who thinks there are no pace and understanding, then th- it's going to fall into the same category of having a bad script. Okay, that means the script, if the script is bad and I can't fix it, that means obviously the director's not going to be able to fix it because they already shot it bad.
0: By the way, according to IMDb, she is still alive. I apologize. However, you I know have... her assistant. I should tell her you said she's dead. Oh, I, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> no, I, I confused her with somebody else. Uh, she is alive and kicking. And uh, hire her if uh, you know. So good if they love, can't good get love, Ann Coats, huh? then they should hire you, right? You should hire me anyway. I could cut just as fast and
1: better, and quicker and smarter, and more uh, now. Not, wow, not that, those are fighting wars where I come from. Well, editing is different now. It happens a lot quicker. If you, if you take a look at Some Girls, Some Girls is cut more of a... It has a pace. It is is an extremely quick pace. We don't hide much. There's no... And that's the difference between you were talking in terms of comedies. Mm-hmm. Comedies now are, are different than comedies in the past. They're not so cutty back then. They're just in wides. like Woody Allen's style has just started to touch on a lot of it. Whereas they actually use the characters' gestures in order to evoke emotion out of them. Wow. Because I remember
0: we were, uh, we were sort of arguing over a film that I loved uh, called The Men Who Stare at Goats, which I think is <laughs> one of the great screenplays. Um, and your issue with it, it's interesting, you said it's cut like a drama, it's not cut like a comedy. And thinking mm-hmm. back to it, I can totally agree with that, that it's yeah. not very, um, it's not sort of sharp and quick with, in terms of... Exactly.
1: With obscure, with obscure dark material, mm-hmm. you have to hit those comedy beats. Because your actors, you can't let it all hang on your actors because they miss the beats. And all of a sudden, the, the joke is like five lines down, but all these other jokes are getting passed upon, which makes you think, do the jokes need to be there at all? So And that's something we we, we attacked at some girls, was there was just so much material. I mean, my first cut was two hours, and it was cut so quickly and paced so,
0: so fanatically that stuff had to go. So what was the final running time? We got it down to... Eighty-seven minutes. Eighty-seven. Did you know that you were going to eighty-seven
1: minutes, or we could feel it? We could feel it. I was still. I was working with Daisy just to move plotting up. Mm-hmm. You know, to get to get to certain characters faster because they have an impact on what he's doing. Because you know, that's that's basically with some girls you're going to see it was a, quite a quite an interesting piece. Very difficult. A lot of a lot of dialogue. Pages. I have more cuts in that movie than I've ever cut in any film. Wow. Yeah.
0: So let's uh let's just end real quickly on if i can bring it up here I, I usually like to talk about something and we did just sit through the entire film the guru which i loved again you really
1: enjoyed it i'm gonna text daisy and tell her how much you loved it <laughs>
0: She's a, she'll be a big
1: fan she loves that
0: <laughs> um she'll probably be happy that you finally watched her big movie <laughs>
1: well i watched her other movies
0: party Girl's how did you miss movies. that one how Party. We... well
1: it's not on netflix
0: so where am i gonna get it? Uh, well you can i think you can run it through netflix
1: Well, I watched Party Girl, and I thought that was enough to to work with her, no problem. And she also did a couple episodes of Mad Men, and she was really nice.
0: (laughs) I was like, oh, she usually seems fun. So one of the things I talk about in my book, one of the sort of the ten rules, is bend reality in order to make it a feature film. And we saw that at the end of the movie, where everything's coming together, and the hero is uh, being put onto a talk show, the Sally Jesse Raphael show, Uh, She was sort of a lesser Oprah for the younger listeners out there. (laughs) And he is on this show, and then that tapes in New York. And the idea is that the girl of his dreams is getting married, and he basically decides, I can't do this. He announces, I'm not really a guru, I'm a fake. And then he runs off to stop the wedding of the girl of his dreams. But while he's on this show, his family in India is watching it live. They're wa- now for the idea that people in India are watching Sally Jesse Raphael to begin with. I find to be kind of unbelievable. But the fact that they're watching it live and it's also daytime there, I don't know actually what the time difference is. Maybe it would be daytime. But the idea that they'd be watching this show be. live <laughs> um, is ridiculous. That is not something that would occur in reality. And then we have the girl of his dreams, husband to be, in his limo. Watching the show on the limo TV and calling in, uh, you know, to to the show to express his own misgivings about getting going through with the wedding. Well, that stuff happens a lot, too. The, the bending
1: of reality happens almost in all the time. Well, it's like necessary. Mostly, but it's, if you think about it, it's a lot of, it's a play-based stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, like, for instance, David O. Russell's work. He has a lot of characters that come in and out of scenes as if it would be on a stage. Okay. Okay, so it's like bringing characters back, bringing things back full circle. Mm-hmm. That's where your bending of illusion comes in. So
0: it well, has to happen in a lot of ways because your characters are just, of course, not there. <laughs> it's it's almost most likely to happen in the third act, absolutely, and in the setup. Yeah, those absolutely. are the two places where because have in to. reality that's the rule. I mean, you have to, or or you better have a damn good reason why they don't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, in terms of the character, cool. Well, Mike, thank you for uh, yeah, dude, Thanks for having me doing this. Again, check out my new website, officialscreenwriting.com. And if you're interested in either of those master classes or my screenwriting class, please go to directorsplayhouse.com. I'm Adam Levenberg, and I'll have a new show for you next week. And if you want to get a hold of me,
1: my Twitter Oh, yeah, hand- please.
0: Go, go nuts. Go nuts. All
1: right, my Twitter handle is at Mike underscore Darrow. You can find me on there or through uh, IMDb or through any of those things. Please, if you've got movies, I can cut them.
0: Awesome. And remember this, people love Mike Darrow. That's People love Mike Darrow. He's an awesome guy. People love to come over to his place and party, and he's got a pool table. So it's a fun place to edit a movie. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I'll have a new show for you next week.